0: It's great to be with you this morning. So grateful to, uh, for our time of worship together. I mean, I enjoyed all the contributions, but Beth and Emma, you really blessed my socks off with that, that message and that interpretation. That was absolutely wonderful. Um, I'm uh, Morris, married to Rachel. I'm part of the eldership team here at, uh, at Hope, but I'm not always here, so you may not. You might wonder, you know, who is this bloke they wheel out every now and then? And and, um, so I thought I'd give you a bit of the backstory and explain why it is that every now and then I appear um, before you in this way. I'm originally from London. I had a short uh, 10-year career in the military as an RAF engineering officer. And that brought us to Norfolk, where God called me out of the Royal Air Force. And Rachel and myself, we spent about 20 years planting and leading and caring for churches in the growing relational mission and uh, wider New Frontiers network. We had four fantastic children in the process. Becca, who's now married to Jordan, uh, Joshua, Daniel, who's married to Lydia, and with baby Max in tow, and, uh, and Sam. And I love my family. They're a fantastic family. And uh, <laughs> yes, God, thank you. And um, as the work of uh, the growing family of churches took up more of our time, about 12 years ago God led us to join the team here at Ipswich, which uh, we thought would be a stronger base for us to work out from, serving churches across the east of England, increasingly onto mainland Europe. As it turned out, I ended up uh, leading the eldership team here for about five years, which at that time comprised Ian and Mark. Mark. In the beginning, there was Ian and Chris and Mark and Rachel. And then we were joined by Len, uh, Len and Ann South, very long-standing friends who've been with Rachel and myself on our church planting journey since the outset. We invited them to join us here in Ipswich, help us build the base here. And it soon became clear that we needed to find someone else to lead the team to release Rachel and myself to continue to serve the growing family of RM Churches. And my first choice was Tom Scrivens, who had grown up in the church that we'd been leading back in Norfolk. I've known him since he was a toddler. And from the earliest days, I was aware of his qualities. I discipled him in his teenage years, and I stalked him when he left for university in Southampton. And I invited him to join us here in Ipswich, and he flat turned me down. (laughs) It was a no. No. And uh, it turns out, not surprisingly, that Tom and Sarah were in high demand with many other invitations. But after some months, it was about nine months, and things were getting a little bit desperate. We weren't quite sure what was going to happen. And uh, I got the call from Tom saying that he and Sarah felt a clear leading from God to join us in Ipswich. It was one of the best phone calls I'd ever had. So uh, in 2014, Tom and Sarah and their family moved to join us here in Ipswich, I handed over the eldership team leadership role to Tom in 2016. And since then, Tom and Sarah's impact on the ministry and mission of Hope Church in the grace of God has been absolutely profound and transformative. They've done an amazing job. And Tom has continued to strengthen the eldership cohort with Tim and Tommy and Nick being added to the team together with their wives Esme and Moyo and Corey. Each superbly gifted and godly men and women. And vitally, the elders have built a wonderful team of men and women around them in outworking the ministries and mission of the church. Literally too many to name here today, but such a strong and beautiful family of servant hearted co laborers. And I've got to say, I mean, sometimes you can use these words, but I could not be more sincere when I say that it is a treasured joy and a precious privilege to be part of what God is doing here in Ipswich at this time. I think, we you know, I've been in this game for a long time. I travel a lot. I see a lot of churches. And I keep saying this to the guys in the eldership team. And it's one of the highlights of my diary whenever I'm, I'm back in Ipswich, is to hang out with, uh, with the elders. You know, it's just uh, fantastic Uh, group of friends to to co-labor with. But I keep saying to them, you know, God is doing something very special in this season among us here. It's not always been that way. You know, we've been through some very painful times among us here over the years. But in this season, the favour of God and the favour of the town is with us. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Okay? (laughs) God's doing something among us here, and it's very, very, I think, it's just uh, yeah a very special thing to be part of, and um, my role now takes me increasingly onto the mainland, I'll speak about that a little bit more later on, where I'm serving among churches that are part of our wider relational mission family, as part of uh, an outworking of the, the vision of this church to make Jesus famous, not just here in Ipswich, but to the nation's. And uh, that's really where we spend a lot of our time. We've just been in Sweden for four months. I'll talk about that in a little bit bit of time. Let's get on to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. We're working through our Nehemiah series. Just to sort of recap, we've seen how Nehemiah was devastated to see the state of Jerusalem in its uh, broken down condition and determined in his heart to see the city rebuilt, so recruited many workers to help rebuild the wall. And last week, Tom took us through chapters 4 and 5, looking at how the rebuilding of the wall was strongly opposed. Nehemiah's enemies mocked the works. They threatened the workers. They tried to deceive and distract people from the work. While internally, there was fear and fatigue and selfish behaviour that threatened to slow the work down. And Nehemiah dealt with all of these with godly wisdom and excellent leadership. And his example has served as a leadership object lessons for every generation of leaders since and today we're going to overview chapters 6 and 7 there's too much to go into great detail i want us to look again at how in chapter 6 the enemy doubles down on using fear to try and stop the work and then to reflect on the significance of Nehemiah and Israel completing the rebuilding in chapter 7 so if you can have your bibles open In front of you, I I, I encourage you to do that. It's fantastically helpful to have the text projected up here for us, but you will always find it helpful to have your own Bible with you so you can follow the preaching from your own text. Um, If we are preaching and teaching, you don't need to have a Bible with you, we're probably not doing our job well. Okay? So, you know, it's like going to school without your textbooks. So uh, it's helpful to have a Bible in front of you. I'm not saying that to uh, condemn anyone, I'm just saying it's helpful to have uh, your Bibles there if you can but chapter 6 in verse 1 we uh, we encounter again our familiar foes Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab Uh, one of my children was asking me the other day about the Middle East conflict and I tried to explain how this has been going on for thousands of years is unlikely to see a human solution and my point is perfectly illustrated in this verse, or just look at the last two verses of chapter two for another illustration. And the difference today for us under the new covenant is that as we long for all Israel to be saved, and we genuinely do, we also long for all Palestinians to be saved. And as Tom said last week, flesh and blood are not the enemy. And so Sam Ballat and Tobiah and Geshem do a masterful job stirring up fear and intimidation. In Nehemiah's camp. In verse 5, we see Sanballat sends an unsealed letter to Nehemiah with baseless and scandalous rumors that Nehemiah was going to make himself king of Israel and rebel against the uh, presiding king. Now, an unsealed letter in those days is the equivalent of social media today. It's like a private message that actually you want everybody else to read. And, uh, and in fact, Nehemiah's enemies. We're constantly sending him letters to intimidate him. And we'll come back to that in a moment. In verse 10, we read Nehemiah recounting how the enemies were inventing stories about people that wanted to kill Nehemiah and trying to coerce him into hiding in the temple, which was a disreputable thing to do. It would have discredited his good name. They're saying, "Come on, come on! They're trying to kill you. Hide! You can hide in here." And he's saying, "No! Why would I do that? Why would I come down from the wall? Why would I do something that is so sinful? I'm not going to do that." Okay. But his response, Nehemiah's response, is just brilliant. And it contains one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible. And Tom knows this. And I think he has planned this whole series just so I can comment on this one verse. (laughs) Okay? And, uh, you know, Nehemiah is appraising the situation, summarizing the efforts of the enemy, concluding in verse 9, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. And Nehemiah responds by replying in verse 8, drum roll, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. <laughs> I just love that. I mean, Nehemiah is like, he's like a senior state official. And this is the sort of thing you'd imagine saying in a school playground, isn't it? You know, nothing you're saying is happening, you're making it up. Out of your head. <laughs> but this is exactly how we need to speak to the enemy when he tries to in- intimidate us. He wants to get he wants to get under your skin. He wants to get inside your head. He wants to live in your head rent-free. Nothing that you're saying is happening, you're making it up. Out of your head. And words are powerful, whispered rumours, written letters, they have the power to get into our head and into our heart. How many of us can remember words that have wounded us, perhaps even shaped us, intimidated us, limited us, sown fear in our heart? A friend had a very broken relationship with his father. He used to write to him letters that constantly criticised him and undermined him. And my friend kept all these letters that his father had written in the, in the attic. I said, burn them. You go, what are you what are you doing holding on to these words? You've got to burn them. People, we can find ourselves rehearsing and almost cherishing hurtful things that people have said over the years. And I've often reflected on this. Why do we hold on to these words? And there could be many, many reasons, but one of them has to be that if we let go of those words, we have to let go of the person that said them. It's impossible to let go of those words... Without forgiving the person that said them. And I think because part of us, and I'm not criticizing this, I've done it myself, part of it is that we want that person to get their comeuppance. We want to have their justice. Yeah? That we don't want to let go of the words because that might let them off the hook. But actually, forgiveness doesn't work like that, does it? You know, and you've heard me say before, you know, forgiveness is the poison. Unforgiveness is the poison that we drink, hoping the other person 's going to die that 's not how it works i cannot i can 't exaggerate i can't how many people over thirty years of pastoral ministry i 've encountered have been damaged or limited by words that they have taken to heart that have not come from God an old um, Welsh firebrand preacher friend said to me once, don't listen to people who don't listen to God. I think that was sort of Welsh. It was a bit, I, think it was, <laughs> I was slipping into North Africa a bit there, I think. Don't listen to people who don't listen to God. Oh, fantastic advice. Why should I allow myself to be shaped by the words from people who do not have the best intentions for me Or speaking out of their own broken, wounded hearts, why should I allow that to define me? When I want to be defined by the words of the One who loves me forever, I want to be the truest things we'll ever know about ourselves are found in the Word of God. The Word of God is the antidote to the words that have been spoken over our lives that have. Wounded us and hurt us and broken us. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. The enemy uses words like weapons. He twists them. He sows lies in our hearts. He makes you doubt yourself. He makes you doubt others around you. We must take God's word for it. You have got to find the God-breathed antidote to words that have bound you or wounded you, and it is all in here. So husbands and wives, be ever so careful how you use your words with your spouse. Careless words can go very deep. Parents, be ever so careful how you use your words with your children. As the twig is bent, so the tree grows. Careless words in childhood can shape your child into adulthood. So we season our words with grace. I'd love to speak more about fear. Fear is one of the most debilitating challenges for the believer to overcome. Today, the enemy is pulling every lever he can to sow fear into the hearts of the people of God. And today... I've just focused on how he uses words to disarm us, and don't let him do it and so I'm, we're going to come back i've left a little bit of time for us at the end, a little later on to really minister to each other. I just want you to ponder now. you know I'm sure many of us here are living in freedom, but there, there will be some i I'm, I'm sure there'll be some here who are carrying wounds from words that have not come from the heart of God. And those words have had a disproportionate impact and influence in the way you see yourself, in the way you interact with other people around you. It could have been something said to you by a parent, a person in authority. It could have been a school teacher could have been a fellow pupil at school. And that's not how God wants us to live. We want to live you know, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We want those words to shape us. We want those words to define us, not to be shaped or defined by wounds from our history. And so I'm going to give an invitation a little later today, for you to receive prayer, got, we have our prayer ministry corner. I just want you to be. Cora- I want you to be courageous with yourself and just say, oh, "I'm done with this. I'm fed up with this." I know there are some, there are some boundaries and barriers I will not cross because of these words. And I need to. I need to get. I need to deal with that. I don't want to be. I don't want to have to face. I'm not saying. I, I don't want to say this. You I'm saying this with tender compassion. I don't want to say this in a, in a way that makes it sound like, a, um, you know, watch out what's coming. But you know, I don't want to. I don't want to face my father in heaven, and he say, Maurice, I put all this potential in you. Why did you not fulfil that potential? And for me, the only answer to give him is to say because of what someone else said. Because I don't think that's going to be a satisfactory answer. You know, it's, it's like, well, you know, God will then be saying, well, didn't you believe me? I say, well, yeah, but, you know. Well, ha- suddenly these words have taken more authority in my life than the words of God. And even my own evaluations, you know, can take more authority than the words of God. And that's a very dangerous place to be in. That's tantamount to a sort of a self-idolatry. Yeah, you might say that, God, but I know better. There's a very, very dangerous place to find yourself, thinking that you know better than God. And so this is just an opportunity today to rinse yourself of this, to break the power of this. I don't want to lose my reward either. Each of us, you know, we preach the, the limitless grace of God poured out on those who have turned to Christ. Beautiful. Rejoicing in this morning. But there's also the the doctrine of rewards that says, okay, my salvation is entirely contingent on the perfect obedience of Christ. Hallelujah. My reward is entirely contingent on my own obedience of faith. There's a doctrine there that we have to get our our, our head around. And if we have limited ourselves because of words that people have spoken over us, we will lose reward. I don't want any of you to lose reward. That sounds like a strange thing to hear someone preaching. You know, don't lose your reward. Well, we can. If we're not, you know, outworking the obedience of faith, Paul said, I came to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. If we're not outworking that, then the consequence of that is we will be saved because that depends on the obedience of Jesus. But there's something we need to understand about the fact there will be some sense of loss. You can read about it, it's in the Bible. And uh, I, don't want you to, I don't want that for you on the basis of words that we can break today. We can break the power of that today. Because each one of you, this is part of what Nehemiah 7 is showing us. You know, it's, it's amazing when you see the list of all these names, of all these people here. Names are important to God. We're not all faceless individuals. God has called us by name. And he has a... a, a purpose, a godly destiny for each one of us. You know, we didn't choose him, he chose us, is what Tim was reminding us. And he appointed us to bear fruit that will endure. So he has a fruit-bearing mission for every single one of us, and we need to listen and hear from God. What is it? What does that mean for me? It's going to be different for each one of us. It doesn't matter whether you're called to some great international preaching ministry or whether you're called to serve dutifully in, uh, in something that might not seem quite so uh, high profile. That's not what impresses God. What impresses God is that you've been obedient to what He's called you to do. That's what impresses God. That's His love language, is obedience. Don't be thinking that people that do sort of impressive looking things get a greater reward, only if they're being obedient. They don't get any, you know, the, the reward is for obedience. What has God called you to? You might think well, it's just, it's just a small thing. It doesn't matter. Are you be obedient? That's where your reward is, not on the scale of what humanly we measure things by. God's not impressed by that. He's not interested in that. He can do it without any of us. You know, he doesn't need any of us. But he's saying, my love has been poured out in your heart, and all I ask from you is obedience. And your reward is contingent on your obedience. So it's important for you to find out what is the fruit-bearing mission for your life so that you can outwork the obedience of God, so that you won't miss out. And if people's words have put a boundary on that, you have got to break the power of those words, because it will not be (laughs) good enough for us to stand in front of God and say, oh, it was his fault, it was her fault. She said this, he said that. That won't wash. It won't wash. You can deal with it now. This is... A, can you hear this? This is a fatherly, loving, tender-hearted appeal to you, okay? This is not sort of a, you must do this or else, I want you all to fulfil your full potential. That's our job as elders in the church, is to see you all presented mature before Christ, for you to see me presented mature before Christ, and for us to fulfil our God-given potential in all things. And if I see some things that are cutting across that, I'm going for it. And this morning, I'm going for it. Amen? You're <laughs> will be very quiet. Okay. Now, as I said, I wanted to talk a bit more about fear. I just want to get on to chapter 7 because it is really important about, in terms of the rebuild. Um, Nehemiah is rebuilding something, something that has already been built to a pattern. And this is such a powerful motif for us today. Jesus said, I'll build my church. And through his first order of apostles, he gave insight and revelation that had not been given before on how this was to be done. And this is a very important uh, passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 3. It says this from verse 4 to 6. If you're following it in your Bibles, this is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Paul says, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Such an important verse in terms of understanding the hermeneutics of the Old and the New Covenant. You know, the New is in the Old concealed. The Old is in the New revealed. You know, it's not, a, it's not a level hermeneutic between the Old and New Testaments. You have to understand the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. You have to, because these guys understood it in the way that previous generations had not understood it. <coughs> So this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, hallelujah, members together of one body, praise God, share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. This is such a profoundly important statement. Jesus and his apostles have left us witness through the New Testament of how to build to simple and authentic New Covenant apostolic DNA. And in the writings of these first order apostles that are handed down to us in the New Testament, we read about healthy, vibrant New Testament church life shaped by the word of God, full of the grace of God, empowered by the spirit of God. Churches led by teams of servant-hearted leaders working together with all the five-fold ministries in Ephesians 4, local churches committed to mission locally and globally, looking to contextualise the gospel in order to impact every arena of culture. This is the simple pattern that Jesus has left for his followers. But over the centuries, this pattern has so often become obscured by accumulated traditions extra-biblical practices, human weaknesses, and even frequent failure. And throughout our history in new frontiers and relational mission, we've sought to outwork a very simple set of mission objectives. And we don't often talk about this these days, but there'll be some in the room. This will be like, oh, I remember this, that we would restore the church, we want to rebuild, like Nehemiah. We want to rebuild the church to the pattern that Jesus has handed down to us. Grateful for every expression of God's church, but we want to sort of, we want to scrape the paint off of the, the the table and get back to the bare wood. We want to sweep everything out and say, if it didn't, if it hasn't come through here, we're not we're not bound by it. If it's in here, we want to do it. If it's not in here, well, we're not so bound by it. But we want to build according to the pattern. The simple apostolic DNA handed down to us through the New Testament. That's how we want to build. So we want to restore the church. We want to make disciples. It's our first and principal commission from Jesus. We don't want to make attenders. We don't want to sort of break our attendance numbers and celebrate. That's not, no, we want to make disciples of the heart. Men and women who are devoted to Jesus. Who've recognized that this world is not our home. We're here to follow Jesus. And so the goals of this world are not our goals. The appetites of this world are not our appetites. We're here to see the kingdom of God come. We're here as the ambassadors of the king, the people of Ipswich are fortunate to have us because we're here for them. We're not here for ourselves. You know? And that's why, that's why we're here. We're, that's what it means to make disciples. That's why you're here. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility isn't to make this attractive so that we will get lots of people coming. You know, I, I'd rather take 50 deep than 500 shallow. Okay. Well, actually, I'd rather take 500 deep. (laughs) But you understand what I mean. Training leaders, entrusting to those who are entrustable. Paul says, you know, and take that which you've been entrusted with and hand it on to those who are able to hand it on to untrustable people. So we need to, we're stewards of a precious uh, revelation. This this revelation that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 3, that he heard that previous generations had not heard, and he's saying, right, now I've got this deposit, and I'm now going to give it to you, Timothy, and I want you to go and give it to others. And that's our responsibility. We want to steward and curate this apostolic DNA, these values. We're building to a pattern, and we want to raise up leaders, men and women, who are going to take responsibility for that and carry it on when we're long gone and are going to entrust it to others that come after them. And we're going to plant churches, be fruitful and multiply. It's the first order uh, call on the people of God to be fruitful and to multiply, to reach nations and to remember the poor. This has been our mission statement from the very early days together in this uh, family of churches. So we're building to a pattern here in Ipswich restoring the church and in so doing we hope to see many saved and discipled for godly purpose not to serve our own cause but to serve his cause Jesus didn't save us to make all our dreams come true it's one of the gospels in our 21st century western well I would say worldwide experience you know come to Jesus he'll make your dreams come true Oh, be so careful about that. That is not the deal. That is not the deal. He saved us to uphold, uphold his own cause. Yeah? And he creates in us a new heart. And he puts his godly desires in our heart and promises to see these fulfilled. That's what he's doing. Yeah? When we are truly saved, our appetites are changed. We no longer have the appetites for the things of this world. The things of the earth will grow strangely dim. Not interesting to us anymore. That's not what we're here for. Our own petty goals and ambitions are tasteless to us. Next to serving the ambitions of our king. We're building to a pattern here. Last week, Rachel and I were together with, uh, with Tom and Sarah Scrivens. We were at a gathering of global apostles in Cyprus. Someone has to do it. And um, together, we represented thousands of churches around the world who are all building to this same pattern. Okay, We're building to a pattern here in Ipswich, and we're, we're gathering together with churches all around the world, working out what does this mean in their culture and in their context. It was absolutely thrilling. How do we work out this simple apostolic DNA in every culture, nation, language in the world? The pattern is important, and it really... Matters now. From time to time, people will come along with ideas about a different pattern, and that is okay. Okay. Sometimes there are things for us to learn and incorporate. From you know, we're accountable to the Word of God. and people come and say, "Look, hey, what about this?" You say, "Okay, we want to consider that." You know, we're, we're you know we we're, we're not beyond challenge in that. But often people simply they come with a, a different pattern, and we have to say. We don't think you're wrong. It's just a different pattern. It's a different emphasis. It's a different priority. We're not saying you're wrong, but it is not what we're building here. Okay? We're very clear about this. And we'll not be easily moved. But you know, if you feel that that God has put upon you a a different set of priorities and emphases, you've got, you know, you can try and appeal to us, are we going to change our pattern? Or we can help you find other believers in other churches who are building to that pattern. And we will bless you in that. But you just got to be clear that we're very clear about what we're trying to build here. The DNA we're trying to operate to and the DNA we're seeking to establish and multiply. Because each reproduces after its own kind. And the kind is defined by its DNA in this wrong. So it's not right. We're not saying right or wrong, we're not calling out heretics. We're just saying no, it's different. You've got to build in accordance with your own conscience and your own convictions and we have clear convictions here about how we're going to build. Nehemiah was rebuilding to a pattern. At the conference last week I was speaking with a leader whose church had multiplied locally three or four times in recent years, and they'd sent out pioneering mission teams every year for ten years that have gone on to plant churches in other towns and other nations. And that makes me feel so hungry for what God can do among us here in Ipswich. You know, we love having you all here with us. Those who have come from near and those who have come from far. We love having you here with us, but we would love to send you out to multiply healthy New Testament church life in town after town. And nation after nation. This is why you see Rachel, you don't you don't tend to see Rachel and myself so often, because actually we're outworking an imperative of this church to, to see this DNA reproduced and multiplied in other nations. We've been in Sweden for four months, we've just returned. And uh, while there, we were working with uh, churches and leaders in Sweden and in Germany and in the Netherlands, helping them to build to this pattern, helping to raise up simple New Testament authenticity where they are in order to to create Ephesians 4 maturity. Read Ephesians 4 if you don't know what I mean by that. It's not about the ministries. It's about the unity of the church. One new man from every uh, tongue, tribe, and nation. And we want to bring about that Ephesians 4 maturity in nation after nation after nation that's what we're giving our time to we're back here in the UK for the meantime but I'm going to be in between now and Christmas I'm going to be in Slovakia I'm going to be in Croatia I'm going to be in Ukraine I'm going to be in Hungary I'm going to be in Spain looking forward to that one Uh, doing exactly this representing you saying look this is how we're building let me help you build where you are as well according to your culture and your context it's not a uh, sort of copy-paste thing. Don't copy our style. I, was, I, I went to a wedding a little while ago. Uh, uh, no, I saw, the, this, I saw the video of a wedding. It was some friends of mine. He was Danish and she was from uh, a North African nation. And they were married in Africa. And her father uh, was uh, an Anglican minister. So he's a, uh, a local African guy, but he was an Anglican minister. And he's wearing uh, an Anglican sort of priest's garments, and, 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 and the lady was wearing her traditional white um, wedding gown. And I just thought, why do you have to do... <laughs> just, you know, honour your own culture. You know, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for saying this. I might often get in trouble when I'm preaching. But I just part of me is thinking, why are you wearing Victorian fancy dress? You know, where, where are you...? What, what have we done? What, what have we from the White West done that makes you think that that's the best way for you to celebrate your your wedding union. And so I just, I don't know, it bothered me a little bit. I said, no, come on, it's not a copy-pasting of style. Don't just copy how we do things. Take the principles, take the values, take the DNA, word, grace, spirit, servant-hearted leadership, Ephesians 4 ministries, shared authority, mission locally, globally, holistically, and take those simple New Testament principles And work it out in your own culture. What is it going to look like in your culture? It's going to look different to the way it looks in in my culture. Don't just copy us. Take the principles. They're not our principles. They're biblical principles. Take those and outwork them in your own context. And we're absolutely devoted to seeing this come about in these nations. It's thrilling. Uh, You don't get to see it. I get to see it all the time. It's wonderful what God is doing in these nations, and and, uh, you're always welcome to come and join us and come and see what God's doing. But we do meet opposition. The enemy tries to oppose the work through all the means that Tom described last week and those that I've covered today, but God's kingdom will ever increase. His glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Our Jesus is a coming king. He's coming back for us, and we're going to be with him forever. And he is going to be established as the head and the Lord of every nation. The nations now, they conspire and rebel against him. But it's only for a time, and it's a time of mercy. It's a time of mercy. It's a window that's open so that many can be gathered in. But one day that window is going to close. But we are together, members of God's own household. We're ambassadors here of his new nation. We represent one new man from every tongue, tribe, and nation. He will return. He will demonstrate his justice to all people for all time. And we will be with him forever. And this life is just a taster for what is to come. So serve God here to store up your reward and your treasure in the life to come, which is going to last a lot longer than this life. Okay, so I just want to, if I can encourage the band to come and join us, I want to just lead us in a short time of ministry together. I want to pray for, first of all, those people among us here who know that one day God is going to call you to serve the mission of God in a place other than Ipswich. Okay, so it's a little bit of a brave thing to do in this context. And I'm going to make the elders very nervous. But it's just that you know one day you're going to be real God's going to move you. One day you know God's going to move you. It could be back home to a nation that you've come from. It could be to another nation that you've never been to. It could be another part of this country. But you know that God's going to, and it's not going to be a move just for lifestyle factors. It's not going to be a move just for job. Say, so we're going to go. And so I'm going to pray for you in a moment. And then secondly i I want us to pray for um uh, the people that among us here that i spoke about earlier who have just been um wounded by words and you feel you're walking wounded and i i don't want to expose anybody but i do want to create an opportunity for people to be released from anything that binds them words that have shaped your life that have not come from the heart of God. So we're going to pray for those in a moment. But first of all, before we do that, let's hear the uh, people who feel that uh, uh, has, God has called them, it could be now, it could be 10 years, 20 years' time. It doesn't necessarily mean next week, so don't panic, elders. Okay. But anybody here who just, you know God has put the mission of God in your heart and that one day you know you're going to move from this place not for lifestyle, or, or, but because, simply because God has called you to another place. Because I want to pray for you. And also, I want you to give me your details. <laughs> okay? If you know that God has called you on a mission, and the one day you're not going to be here, and you feel brave enough to do it in this context, you can come and tell me privately afterwards, but if you're brave enough to do it in this context, please stand in your seat where you are. Just stand in your seat where you are anybody thank you praise God there we go look at this you know this is wonderful a friend of mine a friend of mine often says you, you measure a church not by its seating capacity but by its sending capacity and you need to know those of you who are standing if the call of God is on your life we're going to go with you on that call you, we are part of that it's not, You're not just going to go out the door and we wave you off and hope it goes well. No, you're part of us, we're part of you, we go with you. Okay, That's what we're here for. So just reach out your hand if you are sat near someone who is standing. Just reach out your hand to them now. We pray the blessing of God on them. I pray, Father, for the sealing of a seed in their heart of godly intention and godly ambition. This is not about the, the cause of man, it's about the cause of God. This is the holy mission of God, to make His name known and made famous in every territory, every county, every nation, every language group, every cultural expression. that's going to be represented one day in heaven. We pray for you now. I bless your courage for standing up. And I pray God seals this moment in your heart and in your minds that you would know he is serious about this. It's no small thing to him that you would say, here am I, send me, I'm available. We pray the blessing of God on you. We pray the wisdom of God on you, that he will show you who to connect with. We pray God will speak to you through his word. He will speak to you through the spirit of prophecy he will speak to you through the wisdom of many counsellors. He will speak to you through inner witness and make it plain to you the way of the Lord. Prepare a way for the Lord. Clear the rubble and the boulders. Make a pathway for the mission of God. Let it flow from this place, we pray, Lord Jesus. Let it flow from here, Lord. Let there be many territories touched through the faithful obedience of your people here in, in, in Ipswich let the aroma of Christ in us be savoured around the world I pray this for the glory of Jesus and we pray for these dear people Lord hedge them around and make it plain don't let them be thrashing around grasping at straws wondering what you're doing you're not a God of, mis- of riddles you want to make it plain make it plain for them Lord train them deeply, prepare them thoroughly, help them be dynamic assets for the mission of God wherever you might leave them. We pray for this in the name of Jesus, amen. Let's all stand. The, uh, the worship team are going to uh, lead us in a final song of worship together. And I, again, extend the invitation. If the prayer ministry team could uh, uh, stand and be prepared, I offer you an invitation again. If there are words that have wounded you, if people, have, if you, you know, sometimes you have to look in the mirror and just think, why? Why do I behave like this? Why do I react like that? Why do I disqualify myself in this way? And you've got to be clear that that is a God-given boundary. God puts limits on us. You know, we, we can only move towards the measure of grace God has given us. God puts boundaries on us. But you need to discern the difference between a boundary from God and a boundary that has come from words spoken out of a heart that does not represent God. And if that is the case for you, then I'm, inv- I'm giving you an opportunity today just to confess, speak it out. So I don't want to be, heard, I don't want to be held by this word anymore. And it might need some forgiveness of someone let's just hold our hands out for a moment now let's just invite the Holy Spirit thank you Jesus so abundantly present with us earlier just think of those words we sang when words of accusation comes and compounds our shame and aggravates our shame Lord no and God's saying no we rebuke you Satan this one's mine belongs to me you can't say those things this is my child this is my responsibility and we want to pray that today the holy spirit will flush out some words that have bound and broken people that you walk from this place free that those words no longer have the power that they had and that you're free to outwork the fullness of godly destiny in your life and the fullness of godly potential It can happen, it is, you know, it can happen. A freedom, an open heaven, dark shadows flee, hard walls broken, broken through by the power of the blood of Jesus. He's made it possible. You don't have to live with this anymore. So as we sing this song, I encourage you to come down to the corner and just uh, approach one of the people who are there to pray that they can pray with you and help break the power of these words that you can walk in the freedom that Christ has obtained for you through His death and through His resurrection and by the power of His blood He can do this He has done this you've got to appropriate it and take it upon yourself so take yourself down and allow these people to minister you and care for you and love you, that you might be released to the fullness of what God has for you for the glory of his name. Amen.